As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering Abhorson. Chapters 8, 9, and 10. The Testing of Samoth, A Dream of Owls and Flying Dogs, and Prince Samoth and Hedge. In these chapters, our crew is here to emancipate Nicholas. And poor Nicholas. He is such a disaster that he thinks that this is all a dream. He's just such a mess. And then Samoth has to face down with Hedge, his worst nightmare. And he's... It's not great, guys. It doesn't go great. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am Natasha. Many, many thanks to Abby for commissioning this episode. Abby, I promise I only read 50 pages this time. I think it was like 48 pages. Um, ah, Abby's here in the chat. Hello. So the first chapter of this section, The Testing of Samoth, is the last chapter of part one. I wanted to mention something real quick here. Um, so yesterday... Um, I was like about to take a walk and I was like, but I have reading to do. And I was like, you know what? I should get an audio book of this because I have some free credits. And it, when I went and checked, the audio book is read by Tim Curry, ladies and gentlemen. So yeah, I got the audio book. I'm not an idiot. And he's delightful. His reading of Moggett's voice is real weird. But I, I do have to ask what the fuck the deal is with the way the chapters are set up because it's listed chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. No, I pressed chapter eight and it started like chapter 15. It, he read out loud 
chapter 15. What? And the end of chapter 10 happens like one third of the way through what's listed as I think chapter six or something. The Basically, what I'm saying is the audiobook chapters have no bearing on the actual book chapters. And I don't understand why it's set up that way, which makes it really tough for me. But what are you going to do? Um, so, but I do recommend the audiobook if you do not have to worry about breaking it down chapter by chapter because Tim Curry is pretty fun. So, all right. The testing of Samoth. This poor dude. I appreciate you so much, Samoth, in this chapter because he gets uh, confronted with the choice of whether or not to accept Mogget back. And in the end, Mogget kind of does whatever Mogget, Mogget does what Mogget gonna do and just climbs back up in that bag again. But I really love the fact that like Mogget keeps coming up with reasons why this weird shit is happening or why he went away or why he looked like a dwarf. And Samoth just does not put his sword away. Every time that Mogget says anything, Samoth's like, yeah, all right. This still sounds like bullshit, though. I love it. Mogget coming back and just being himself the way that he is. I have to be honest with you guys, never even occurred to me. Like, when he's running, holding his bell, saying, I'll show her, it sure sounds sinister. It sounds like a bad thing. But it feels like he's being honest in the end. Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. So first, let's talk about Sam is watching um, Lyriel's body because she is in death and she's talking to that guard that they found. Um and he is thinking about how he would like to give the guard a proper burn so that she will be free and not be used in death, but that he doesn't want to do that while Lyriel is still over there because she might be talking to her. Like, I'm not really sure what kind of effect that has. Um, and it says he was alone again, in effect, now without even the dubious companionship of Mogget. It made him nervous, but the fear that had been with him all through the, his flight from Belisere was gone. This time, he simply didn't want to let Aunt Lyriel down. Can we talk about this? Has he called her Aunt Lyriel before? That's precious. I love this. Um, so he's patrolling, and he hears something. And he looks over, and he sees this uh, thing walking towards him. A uh, single pace every minute or so, coming very slowly. And he thinks for a second that maybe he should go and grab Lyriel's shoulder to pull her out of death because he's worried that something is like coming for both of them. But then he's like, nah, she's doing something really important. I need to just fucking manage this. The whole point of me being set on guard duty is so that she doesn't have to worry about it. Which, uh, guys... Ladies out there, ladies, can we all gather around for a second here? Can we just talk real quick about asking a dude for help with something and how often it just turns into you holding his hand, explaining every step of the thing that he is supposed to be doing so that you were supposed to be freed up to do a different thing, except that doesn't wind up happening. 
because you now have to instruct him. And so you, in essence, still do both jobs. Is that just me? I feel like that's not just me. But damn, does it get frustrating. Um, so I really appreciated him being like, no, she needed me to do this job. I'm going to do it. Thank you, Sam. Oh, my God. I didn't think that we were asking that much. But as I go through life, I just come to realize men are helpless so much of the time. It's astonishing. I don't know how they got the reputation for being the more capable of the sexes, but y'all ain't. So um, so he realizes like he can sense whether something is dead and he knows that this isn't. Um, and then he's like, so wait, if it's not dead... And it's got like free, it's like using free magic, it says wielding free magic, but not of it. So you couldn't smell anything. It could even be him. It could be Hedge. And Sam starts to like shake just thinking this. This is it, he told himself. This was the test. If he didn't face whatever was out there now, he would know he was a coward forever. Lyriel didn't think he was, nor the dog. He had run from Asteriel, but not out of fear. He had been made to by magic, and Lyriel had run too. There was no shame in that. I really like this, him being like, fuck, this is the one. This is the deciding moment. Um, so he reaches into the charter and creates a dagger out of sunlight. Guys, this is so precious. He creates a dagger out of sunlight. He comes back, he screams for the charter, roars this battle cry, leaps forward, and then he slams into a tree and falls on his ass and drops the knife, and it goes out. Guys, I'm so glad that Lyriel wasn't there to see this. I am already annoyed that Mogget was there to see this. Poor fucking Sam. He is making such an effort. What a precious little cinnamon roll. Um, yeah, he falls on his ass. And as he's down, he's remembering that, like, the guy who taught him how to fight was like, hey, if you go down in battle, there's a real good chance you're not getting up again. So for the love of God, don't fucking fall down. And he scrambles to his feet. And he jumps up and runs back to Lyriel's body and is like, maybe this was a distraction. Maybe they got to her while I was out here being an idiot. And he gets back and she's fine. And then somebody says, lucky I was here. And he turns around because it's Moggett's voice, but he can't see him. And then this little cat comes out and Sam is looking at him and he's just like, mm. I saw something else. Like, what's the deal here? And Moggett says, that was me. But that shape was forbidden to me. By Jerizael, who was the 48th Abhorsen. I cannot use it in the presence of an Abhorsen, even an apprentice, without prior perm permission. Your mother does not generally give me permission, though her father was more flexible. Lyriel cannot currently say yay or nay, so once again, you see me as I am. The dog said that Asteriel wasn't going to let you go. Is that what the hound said? remarked the cat. Isteriel, is that who it was? It's been so long I can't really remember who was who. In any case, she said what she wanted to say, and then I left. Wake me up when we're somewhere dry and comfortable, with civilized food. And he just climbs into the pack and, like, goes to sleep. 
And guys, I don't know what to make of this. Like the idea that there's a form that he's not permitted to use in the presence of a person. Maybe. I mean, we have literally never seen Moggett on the page without an abhorson with him, except for this moment when he's a dwarf. So I, that could work. That could be very true. Why would he have chosen that shape to run to them though? Isn't being a cat faster than being a dwarf? One would think traveling as a cat would be way easier, way quicker than running on two legs. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to catch a cat that's trying to run away. Not easy. And a dwarf is going to be slower than a person because he's got way shorter legs. So I don't really understand the advantage of that shape in that situation. But also it doesn't maybe, it doesn't, it, it, it's like, I don't really understand why if that isn't true. Moggett would have allowed Samoth any sight of him as his dwarf shape. Because if it were like to be, if that dwarf shape were something that he took on because he was being shady, I would think he'd want to keep that secret, like real secret. And he wouldn't, by accident, let Samoth catch a glimpse of him like that. So, I don't know. Maybe. It's, who knows. I just am not totally sure about this and sam isn't either sam is very suspicious and continues to be so like which i respect you know it could be very easy to just be like he's so relieved to have him back and all this but um it says sam just wasn't sure if he was pleased or not that the cat had returned he kept remembering that gloating chuckle in the tunnel below the house and the stench and dazzle of free magic which yeah what like i'm i'm with you buddy I'm like, I was sad that Moggett was gone. I didn't like things ending with Moggett in such a way as to leave us as readers at a loss where we had no idea what was going on. But I was willing to accept it on like with the understanding or assumption, I guess is a better word that I would be, ex- that it would be explained later on. And now that Maga is just back in this way and I just sort of have to take his word for everything. And I mean, the collar is still on him. He still has the bell. So it's not like he even had the bell on as a uh, dwarf. It was just around his waist like a belt. So it still seems that he is restrained. But geez, this is just so strange. So Lirio comes back through um, and she says that something tried to bite her, but the dog bit it in half. And then she says, but that didn't stop it. I made it obey me in the end. It's on its way to the ninth gate and it won't be coming back. And Sam says, you really are the abhorson in waiting now. Now, guys, spoilers. He says, you really are the abhorson in waiting now. And I'm like, buddy, no, she de-abhorson. It's it. It's all over. She's the one. Guess who's still alive? This motherfucker. He fucking tricked me. He tricked me real good, too. Because, like, guys, it takes a lot. A lot nowadays. For me to think somebody dead. Like, Books, TV shows, 
movies. I need to see a body. I need to see their mouth open and their eyes glazed in death. I need to know. Otherwise, they are still alive or they are going to be brought back or some shit is going to happen. And I really was like, no, they're dead. They're dead. Like I had a moment where I was like, maybe they still made it. And then I was like, nah, they're gone. That's it. That's it. And I don't know how I feel about it. Like part of me is glad because I don't want Sabriel to be dead. It's awful. Especially like all the way over to like wherever the fuck they were. It was going to take ages for their kids to find out. At the same time, I admired the ballsiness of that move. On the other hand, they're clearly up against some serious shit this book. And I think we're going to need all hands on deck. So, you know, I'm just kind of going back and forth, but we'll get there. So, um, Muriel says, when he says, you really are the abortion I'm waiting now, she says, I guess I am. And she thinks about how far away her old life feels. And that there's this new life coming upon her and that she doesn't really know what it's going to be. She feels a little uncomfortable and weird about it. And like, I don't, I don't have a really good example of feeling this way in particular that I can think of, but I kind of understand the overall vibe of it. When you really step, take a step back and like, realize that the th like things you thought about yourself or like the path at least that you saw yourself following it turns out that's not actually what's going to happen um like recently um and by recently i mean within the last year and a half i had to explain my job to my doctor and it was a really weird moment of like wow you know what? I'm turning into somebody else because I still think of myself as a retail worker. That's really like how I think of myself is, is a service employee. I have been in customer service. I have worked in restaurants. I have worked in sales. I still really think of myself as that. And it's taking quite an adjustment for me to really like acknowledge that's not what I do anymore. And there's a part of me that's almost sad about it because there is a badge of honor that I feel I wore having worked in those industries, which are really stressful, really high pressure and really like difficult, just straight up hard work that I was sort of like still seeing myself that way. And then I realized like, no, I'm still working hard. It's not like I don't work hard, but my job is very different and I'm really, really lucky. And basically I had to acknowledge that now I'm kind of privileged in what I do for my job. I might not be privileged in that I don't have a 401k and health insurance. Like, you know, I don't have that kind of job privilege, but my job includes reading and watching television and talking about it. That's something that people would kill for, you know, like, and it's a weird thing to step back and realize that about yourself that like, 
you have this idea in your head of who you are, but things have sort of snuck up on you and slowly changed. And all of a sudden that's not true. And you never really had to take a step back and look and make that assessment before. And then once you do it, you're like, wow, how did I miss that? This has been like different for quite a while now, but all of a sudden, and it's not the same thing, obviously with Ariel, because her shit changed like, like that, like overnight, you know? So it's a very different situation. But that feeling of just being like, wow, what I used to do actually feels really far away now. And like the things that I used to want or the priorities that I used to have, the things that I used to worry about, like all she used to worry about was, oh, my God, when am I getting my sight? Oh, my God, I want to be like everybody else. And now it's like you're about to die from a fucking undead creature. Get it together. Like it is a very different set of concerns at this point in her life. So, yeah. I really liked this moment of her just kind of like just thinking about the reality of her situation. And then she notices that Sam is way muddier than he had been. And she's like, what the fuck happened? And Sam says that Mogget came back and the dog goes and nuzzles at the pack and Mogget almost slashes her in the nose. Um, And she confirms that it is Mogget, but says, I don't understand. And Mogget says to the dog, she gave me what she chooses to call another chance, more than you've ever done. What does that mean? Hmm? What's the other chance? What's the deal here? I, like, when I, when I tried to, like, brainstorm what this could mean, all I could think was that Asteriel is aware that Mogget was freed, like at the end of the last book, and was attempting to punish him for the fact that he was like ready to basically torture and kill Sabriel. And that for some reason, Mogget convinced her that he deserved another chance. But I don't know how Asteriel would know that. I mean, obviously, Asteriel is like this weird force, so she could know all kinds of things. I just don't really, you know, I have no answer for that. Um, I don't know why, because I really just get the impression that the instant Mogget's collar is off, Mogget will try that shit again. No problem. So I don't know why there's a second chance being granted. And when he says to the dog, more than you've ever done. What is that about? When has the dog ever had the uh, the like option to give another chance? Like, I don't know. I just I, I don't know what this is about. So I'm just so curious, y'all. I don't know what this means. Um, another chance at what growled the dog? This is no time for your games. Do you know what is being dug up four leagues from here? And uh, the cat says, I know. I didn't care then, and I don't care now. It is the destroyer, the unmaker, the unraveler. And Mogget stops to take a breath, and the dog barks in such a way, with so much power behind it, that Mogget yowls and then, like, disappears inside the bag, hissing. And the dog says, do not speak its name, not in anger, and not when we are so close. Which is really interesting. Um... I'm getting from that that the 
the the fact that the dog said specifically not in anger that the emotion behind it might contribute to summoning something which is cool i like that idea that like if you use the um name of something that is all about love and peace and harmony but you say it in a hateful terrible way that it might not get that being's attention the way that it would if you said it in a loving caring way and this is an a destroyer and anger is certainly a big part of wanting things destroyed so saying the thing's name in anger being what draws its attention i think is a really neat concept i like that um so finally they make a deal and the thing is it's funny because like lyriel and sam make a deal about how they'll get mogget fish and mice and all this stuff if it will help if if he'll help them but the dog is like why are you bargaining with him he'll do as he's told like this is not this this is not how this works um and he says food and lodging in return for what help i care to offer <sighs> mock it so they finally come to this agreement and then they head off again and um they they it's an interesting moment to me anyway that like Lyriel had been talking about how or she had been she made an agreement with the guard in death that she would make sure to dispose of the body properly so that uh she wouldn't be taken as a slave in death and Lyriel had like forgotten about that like there she's about to just walk away and Sam has to be like hey shouldn't we like deal with her and she's just so exhausted and she's like man i am just i must be really really tired um can can you do it sam lyriel asked i'm a bit worn out to be honest hedge may smell the magic warned the dog as may any dead creatures that are close enough though the rain will help and sam is like listen sorry but i definitely cast a spell earlier already because I was making a knife out of light. So I'm sorry about that, but the seal's been broken already. Um, so they do that. And there's all this back and forth throughout these chapters where the dog will be like, that was a good call. And then we get like Moggit being like, that was stupid. Why'd you do that? That's dumb. We're wasting time. We're wasting energy. Y'all are idiots. This isn't the stupidest plan I ever heard, but it's in the top five. Like Moggit. Ah, oh, is it just me? Or is he even more insufferable than he was before? Christ. Um, so they are walking. It's like still fucking raining. Lyriel at one point tries to call a halt to rest and the dog just fucking ignores her. <laughs> um, and she like Lyriel goes ahead with following the dog and is just thankful finally that they are like heading across a ridge and they're going to be walking flat because they had been climbing in the rain for ages and they are all just so fucking tired. Now, I have been on some pretty intense climbing hikes and I swear to God, 
it is one of the most draining things I have ever done in my entire life. It was a uh, three, what was it? Three nights and four days of hiking through the mountains of Guatemala from uh, Shela, Quetzaltenango, to uh, the Lago Atitlan. And I, if there had been like a bus that pulled up, there actually was at one point. So it just, I won't get too far into it because I need to stay focused here because I always go over time. But I have never since experienced the kind of exhaustion that I did on that hike. And I wasn't even in that bad of shape. Um, I have mild uh, bronchitis or not bronchitis, um, asthma. So it got kind of messy because of that. We were at a high elevation and all of that. But otherwise, like my body was in pretty good shape and it was still so fucking tiring. And you would like lay down and you could fall asleep straight up in a puddle of mud. Like no problem. Just like, yeah, absolutely. A bunch of wild dogs came across our camp and like ate all our food one morning or one evening while we were asleep. I didn't wake up at all. Woke up in the morning. My clothes were scattered all over the place. The dogs had stolen the food. We had to like walk without eating to the next town so that we could find some food for breakfast. And it was really like there was a bus there because this was the first night that we had been out and when we woke up and this had all happened. And there was a bus that left from this tiny nothing town. And this town it maybe had like eight houses in it. And you could not get there like within hours. It was a huge trip. But there was a bus that would go from there down to Lago Atitlan. And I was given the option because the dogs also stole my uh, hiking boots. So I was wearing water shoes for the rest of this hike, which did not help. Uh, I was given the option to take the bus and to just skip and meet them at Lago Atitlan. And I very nearly did it. I finally, like, the, the weather wound up letting up because it had been raining, so everything was a fucking mud slick. But then the sun came out, and we hit a particularly picturesque part of the hike. And I, I was like, all right, no, I can't skip this. I'm going to do it. But it was a close thing. And these descriptions of what it's like for them to, like, just plod on and how long a time it is and how awful, like, the it's just really got to me you know, listening to this. Um, they kept on for another 30 minutes or so, though it felt like hours till at last they came to a point where a landslide had carved out a great, a great swath of open ground down the Northern face of the Ridge. The dog stopped there, choosing a stand of ferns that would shelter them. Lyriel sat down next to her and Sam staggered in a minute later and collapsed like a broken concertina. As he sat, Moggett climbed out of his pack and stood on his hind legs, using Sam's head as a rest for his two front paws. Of course he did. So they see this pit and they see the uh, the undead, the dead hands, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And the dog is able to see these two hemispheres. And says something about them and Moggett hisses out loud. 
And the dog at this point is extremely upset. She straight up says to Lyriel that she has failed her. And it's like, you know, the game isn't actually over yet, but the fact that they have unearthed these hemispheres seems enough to this dog that it's a fucking loss. Like, the dog is treating this like we are, we already failed. It's over. And it's, yikes, you know? And the dog says it was imprisoned long ago and trapped within the silver hemispheres and the hemispheres were buried deep beneath the wards of silver, gold and lead, rowan, ash and oak. And the seventh ward was bone. So it's still bound, whispered Sam urgently. I mean, they might have dug up the hemispheres, but it's still bound inside them, isn't it? For now, said the dog. But where the prison fails, little hope can be placed in the bonds. Someone must have found a way to join the hemispheres, though I cannot guess how and where they're taking them. Um, so at this point, when the dog tells Lyriel, I'm sorry that I failed you, Lyriel has to give herself a little internal pep talk and be like, what would the abhorson do? And she realizes that she has to act like she is not discouraged at all. She needs to just plow ahead um so sam is like because she's like first of all trying to come up with the next phase in their plan and sam says that we should rescue nick and lyriel seizes on that and she's like you know what yeah that's a good first step because nick is going to know where they're taking these things so we can at least head there and you know we we need to take on something that's sort of small scale. We can't just like bust up in there and try and stop all of these hands from working. Who knows? Like they don't know that hedge is gone. We know that, but they aren't aware of this. Um, so they, you know, are not even going to th- consider doing something particularly drastic and going up against him head to head. So what she decides to do is put on her charter skin and head down with Nick to, uh, or head down with the dog to rescue Nick. Um, and Sam is a little bit weird about this. And it's like, I, I could probably learn how to do the owl shape. Like, and, and Nick knows me. So I feel like he would be easier to convince to come with us if he saw a friend. Um, and how can the dog fly? There won't be any convincing required, growled the dog. Your friend Nick must be largely a creature of the Destroyer. He will have to be compelled, and we must be wary of him and any powers he may have been granted. As to flying, I just make myself smaller and grow some wings. Oh, said Sam. Of course. Grow some wings. (laughs) I like that a lot. So, oh, and I also love the detail where Lyriel's like, you couldn't be the owl because the charter skin is made to my size it wouldn't fit you and then she says i hope it isn't too crumpled in my pack which it just keeps like being kind of funny to me that she's talking about this like magical item as if it's like a bathrobe or something it's just really funny to me uh that it's so practical an object you know i just keep thinking of it like the charter skin as like a concept but it is the literal thing that she has to like fold up and put in her bag and i just keep forgetting that Um, so Sam finally is like, all right, look, why don't we go like, we'll take a little rest here 
And then we can head on under cover of darkness a little further down. And you can fly from there and I will hang back and spell some of these arrows. And that way I can provide some sort of cover and be closer by in case anything goes wrong. So they decide to go with that plan. Um, and finally, we have the uh, first interlude. And this is where we find out that Sabriel and Touchstone are alive. I just, guys, it took me a minute for it to even register in my brain what I was reading. Um, and it turns out that actually there are quite a few survivors. Um, and by quite a few, I mean like four <laughs> in total. But nevertheless, I expected like, you know, basically for this to be like completely leveled, this whole area and everyone in it. Um, and Bar uh, list is yelling that they need to get to the boat because they have a couple of different emergency uh, options that they had set up in case shit went really left. And the boat is apparently the closest option. So they have to like Barlist and his uh, couple of people like lay down some cover fire while Touchstone and Sabriel go running kind of bent double. Um, and let's see. Come on, roared Touchstone, turning at the entrance to the lane. But Barlist did not come. And Varen grabbed Touchstone and Sabriel and pushed them down the lane, shouting, go, go, go. They heard Barless shout a battle cry behind them, heard his footsteps as he charged out from under the car on the opposite side. There was one long shuddering burst of automatic fire and several louder single shots. Then there was silence, save for the clattering of their own boots on the cobbles. Barless sacrificed himself, guys. Pour one out for old Barless. Um, so they managed to get onto the barge. And I love this. A drunken bargeman saw them. Three gun-wielding figures splattered in blood and worse, and he was not so drunk that he got in the way. He cowered to one side, hunching himself into as small a ball as possible. Good call, buddy. Um, the Sethem River flowed dirtily past the short quay. Uh, I always want to say quay. It's key. But I didn't learn that it was pronounced key until like a year ago. No joke. So, um... A man dressed in the oilskin thigh boots and assorted rags of a tide dredger stood there, his hands inside a barrel that he'd presumably just salvaged from the muddy river flats. As he heard the clatter on the stairs, his hands came out holding a sawed-off shotgun, the hammers cocked. Um, the man, and Varen says, Quarrel, a rescue? Which I'm guessing that this guy's name is Quarrel. And Varen is just like, hey, no trouble. We're trying to help. Like, you're on our side, buddy. Because he uncocks that, the shotgun, and then pulls out a whistle and blows it a few times. But Quarrel is such a weird name. It's one step away from Quarrel. Um, all the guards were armed and expecting trouble, but from their expressions, none expected what they saw. An ambush, exclaimed Touchstone quickly as they approached. We must be away at once. Many hands grabbed him and Sabriel and practically threw them onto the deck of the waiting boat. Um, and Touchstone says, that's it. I'm done with Ansel Stier. And Sabriel's like, yep, I guess that's it. Like, we're not finding any help here. So, you know, even if we weren't done with it, it's clearly done with us. So we're heading home. Um, 
And Touchstone says, home, but even that word wasn't said without both of them feeling an unspoken fear. Close as they had come to death today, they feared their children would face even greater dangers. And as both of them knew so well, there were far worse fates than simple death. Which, yeah, that's one thing that I do not appreciate about these books, is that they've made it so that death is no longer a release. It is just another thing to be worried about being enslaved in. Do not care for it. So, chapter 9, A Dream of Owls and Flying Dogs is when Nick has this dream, he thinks. But it is actually Sabriel and the disreputable dog showing up to help. And he is, like, very resistant to this. At first, Sabriel's like, come on, we have to help him. He doesn't even look like he's strong enough to walk. And Nick starts to be like, yeah, I can, because he thinks it's a dream and that he can control what's happening because he's in a dream. And he tries to make himself stand up, um... And the dog is like, you know what? The fact that he thinks he's dreaming is actually kind of good because the destroyer is sort of dormant in him unless it feels like there is something threatening. So, or unless it feels charter magic close by. Um, so you can't touch him with the charter skin. Be careful about that. And also like that may that i think is part of why the rain hitting him a little bit later like affected him because that rain was summoned by lyriel and samus charter magic so i think it was like kind of infused with it and that's part of what cleared his head that time um so it's really funny too like he gets undressed to change into traveling clothes and he does it without any sort of concern about being seen because he thinks he's in a dream. So he just gets stark ass naked and does not worry about it at all. And Lyriel is just seeing him and is like, holy shit, he is so skinny, dude. Are you okay? Like she continually feels really concerned about him. And later she has to carry him and he's so light that it's like just kind of upsetting, you know? Um, and finally... He starts to be like, oh, my God, I'm not dreaming, am I? I'm just going crazy. And Lyriel's like, no, buddy, you're not crazy. You just have a really bad fever. And he feels his head and he's like, oh, yeah, I do. Shit. And then he says, I have to go back to bed. Hedge said before he went to get the other barge. And the dog says, I feel several forces at work within him. And even a fragment of the bound destroyer is a power to be reckoned with. Uh, so that is what that shard was. Apparently that, um, hedge had in his hand that he like let sink in. I think he, it sank in through the, the palm of Nick's hand. Right. Um, there is something of the destroyer in him, a sliver of one of the silver hemispheres, most like infused with a fragment of its power. It's eating away at him, body and spirit. He is being used as the destroyer's avatar, a mouthpiece. So that's, first of all, really rude. Dislike. Also, how did he get a fragment of a hemisphere free without uh, like completely uncovering these things? Was that something that was like, broken off before it was buried and hidden somewhere else. Like, I'm really curious about the practicality of that because it seemed like that shit was buried deep and he needed a lot of people to help him get it out. And I don't know how he just had a piece of it in his pocket, you know? 
Um, but nevertheless, that is very, very creepy that like the piece of it like burrowed into his flesh and is like possessing him in that way. It reminds me a little bit of like a one of the Denarians um, from Dresden Files. There's like a a coin that the uh, fallen angels attach themselves to. And when you touch it, it gives them access to your mind in a way that allows them to tempt you to like join up with their team. And it's real creepy. You can't like you can resist actually taking up the coin, but it just simply touching it is enough to like give them a, a foot in the door. And it's just very alarming. Um, so finally the dog has to use her ability to make him walk in order to force him not to go back to bed, which he keeps on trying to do. And he's arguing like hedge told me to stay. I really have to stay. Um, and I love this. A corona. Uh, the dog barked again louder, the noise carrying even above the constant thunder. A corona of sparks flared about Lyriel, and the discarded pajamas under her claws suddenly caught fire, forcing her to fly out of the tent. Nick shuddered and twisted as the force of the bark hit him. He fell to his knees and began to crawl out of the tent, groaning and calling out to Hedge. I feel so fucking bad for Nick, guys. Like, seriously... It's just so, so horrible. He is being hijacked in two different directions. And what he wants as a person is just, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't even factor in. There's just like four different forces, all of them trying to fight to make him do the thing that they want. It's just, ugh. Um, so finally, this thing begins to come out of his mouth, the smoke and the voice. It's like what the dog has done to try and force him to walk out is enough of a threat that the fragment in him is like, oh shit, what are you doing? What's up? And starts to raise its ugly head, rear its head, right? Um, so also, uh, the dog like yells to Lyriel that because this is waking up, you need to come back into your real form and use your bells and quell it and also quell some of the hands that are beginning to turn their attention to the tent because there is a bunch of fucking charter magic happening. So she like immediately drops the, uh, the, what do you call it? Out. She unravels the owl skin. Um, hundreds of dead hands were already throwing down their ropes and turning towards the tent. A moment later, they began to run. Guys, I really hate that these things can run. I keep picturing them as like shambling zombies. And the fact that they can like just burst into a sprint is just really unfair. Um, so the smoke begins to coil up. The dog keeps trying to like bark and force Nick to move. And it's just not quite working. Um, and this thing starts to talk and starts to be like, how dare? And then recognizes the dog and says, I should have spent expected you meddler and one of your sisters get so this dog might be from like an abhorse the abhorsen line like it seems i want to know i want to know all about this but this dog i'm just very curious so nick's voice is like gone 
And this other voice is coming from him, calling to his uh, servants, the the hands. Um, All the dead heard, even those who still labored stupidly on the ropes, and they all hurried, a tide of rotten flesh that flowed around both sides of the pit, rushing toward the beacon of the burning tent where their ultimate master called. Others heard it too, though they were further away than any sound could carry. Hedge cursed and turned aside to slay an unlucky horse so that he could make a mount that would not shy to carry him. Many leagues to the east, Clore turned away from the riverbank near Abhorson's house and began to run, a great shape of fire and darkness that moved faster than any human legs could take her. So, yeah, again, I do not care for this at all. I just feel like the fact that we have so many people heading in this direction I mean, just, you know, I don't, it's just mean. It's just mean. We don't need all these people. It was quite enough to just have the dead. But then we also have Hedge. And then we also have Clore. I just, mm-mm, no. Um, so Lyriel draws Rana and does it so, like, kind of carelessly that the bell tinkles and makes her like exhausted for a split second, which I'm just like, no, oh my God, please be careful. Jesus Christ. Um, the relevant pages from the book of the dead shown in her mind, showing her what to do. So she did it joining Rana's gentle sound with Sarenath's deep strength and with them, the imperative sharp bark of the dog, the sound wrapped around Nick and the voice that spoke from him was dampened, but a raging will fought against the spell, a will that Lyriel could feel pushing against her, fighting against the combined powers of bell and bark. Then suddenly that resistance snapped and Nick fell to the ground, the white smoke retreating rapidly back into his nose and throat, which I really want to know why it snapped just then. It feels almost like a ploy to me. But I think that she would be able to sense if that was what it was. So I don't know. I'm just, uh, I, I, is it the power of the bell itself? Is it Lyriel herself? Or like, what is it? But she uh, winds up picking him up and she carries him out. She has to slap Nick in the face to wake him up. Um, He yelped, looked around wildly and struggled against her. And she tells him to run, but she like eventually winds up having to carry him anyway. He just, he's not well, you know, he can only keep it up for so long. So then we go to chapter 10, Prince Samoth and Hedge. So Lyriel is like trying to get Nick to keep up with her. She finally, when she does carry him, like he's not that heavy, but it's still just going to be tiring. And, uh, he says something about like, why are you doing this? The experiment will go on without me, you know? And it's just so precious because he thinks that she's like trying to stop whatever project he's working on. He has no idea that he's being saved because he doesn't know that there's anything wrong. Like he still doesn't get that he's a prisoner. And that's the part that I find so like sad is that he genuinely is unaware of what's happening to him. Even now, you know, there's no, they they aren't able to just snap him out of it and make him go, guy, all these things, they're dead people. The thing you're doing is super evil. You didn't make this choice. Somebody fucked with you. Like, he's just still, and, and I don't know how they get this thing out of him. You know, I don't know if that's even possible. It, it might be that, like, once it's in there, that's kind of it. And, like, Nick is going to die or 
God knows what. Um, so Lirial says, Sam can help explain to you. And he's like, Sam, what's he got to do with this? And she says, he'll explain, but she can barely talk because she's just running and carrying him and really getting out of breath. And Nick keeps saying, Hedge will rescue me. And I'm just like, guy, it's so sad. I hate it so much. Um, So Lyriel realizes at one point after running for quite a while here that she has headed way into the wrong direction. And now she is like in a marsh. She's in a swamp. And she's like up to her shins in water. um, And she winds up in the middle of a bunch of reeds. Meanwhile, Sam, from where he is, has to decide what to do because it seems pretty clear when stuff starts going left, but he doesn't know if he should like go down there and get in the midst of it. He doesn't know if he should stay back where he is because Lyriel is supposed to come back to him, but he sees no sign of her. So eventually, uh, he the dog starts heading back towards him. And I really like this detail of the fact that he is like, infusing all of the arrows with all of these this magic and all of these symbols and it says it had taken sam to do uh it had taken sam two hours to do all 20 and he was a little weary he was unaware that it would have taken most charter mages the better part of a day working magic on inanimate objects had always come easily to sam i really like this because poor sam has just been so down on himself for not being the abhorson and not wanting to be anywhere near the book of the dead And the fact that he can do this and be so good at it and be unaware that it's that unusual to be this good at it is just kind of a fun detail that I enjoy. Um, So he sees the dog coming and is just like, what's going on? Where's Lyriel? And the dog is like, she was supposed to be behind me and I do not see her. I do not know where she is. Um, we need to get out of here, stay on this side and head downstream. And the dead begin to catch up. And Sam quickly starts to realize exactly how bad this is. Um, Lyria went into the reeds, but the necromancer suddenly showed up. So I couldn't follow without leading him to her. That's why we can't wait. Sam looked back to and immediately fell over his pack and dropped both bow and arrow. As he stumbled to his feet, he saw a wall of dead hands lurch to a stop on the other side of the stream, back up near the sunken log. There were hundreds of them, a great dark mass of writhing figures that immediately started to parallel the dog's course on the opposite bank. And then here comes Hedge. And Sam fucking, like, nearly throws up. Like, it's just really bad. Um, And he shoots an arrow and it hits Sam totally true but or it hits Hedge sorry totally true and Hedge falls off his horse and for a second Sam is like sweet I did it and then Ma gets just like yeah that's just gonna annoy him like I love this Hedge fell from his skeleton horse which reared and then dived forward smashing through several ranks of dead hands to plunge into the water in an explosion of white sparks and high-pitched screaming. Instinctively it had known how to free itself and die the final death. So he hasn't got his uh, his horse anymore so that's the thing that will annoy him. So Hedge stands up pulls out the arrow and the dog is like yeah buddy look don't waste any more of those arrows 
they're not going to do anything. They'll like knock him around. That's about it. Um, and Hedge begins to come towards the stream. He puts one boot in there and the water bursts into steam and it takes Sam a minute. Like the instant that he did that, I knew what was going on, but it takes Sam a minute to realize exactly what Hedge is doing, which is he is boiling off the whole stream so that there will not be any sort of barrier between Sam and the dead, which is really rough. Um, and Sam tells the dog to go and help Lyriel and that he will hold Hedge off as long as he can, which honestly, considering like how scared Sam is of Hedge is really brave. Like, good on you, Sam. That is some serious commitment. And I would not have expected this of you a few chapters ago, you know. Um, so he reaches into the charter and it says, almost without thinking, he began to draw out charter marks, whispering their names quietly as they fell into his open hand. Um, which I love that idea. Again, the treatment of the charter marks as if they're like almost solid objects, like that, you know, infuse things is really cool. Um there was already significantly less water below him. The stream bed was becoming visible and the dead hands were starting to move. Hedge wouldn't even have to fight him, Sam thought. All he had to do was stand in the stream and his dead hands would cross and finish Sam off. Though he had the pan pipes, Sam didn't know how to use them properly and there were simply too many hands. There was only one thing he could do. Sam would have to attack Hedge in the stream and kill him before the hands could cross. If he could kill Hedge... A little nagging voice said from deep inside his mind, wouldn't it be better to run away before you're burnt again and your spirit ripped out of your flesh and taken by the necromancer? Sam buried that thought away, sending the nagging voice so far into the recesses of his mind that it was just a meaningless squeak, which again, good on you, buddy. Then he let the charter marks he already held in his hand fall into nothingness, reached into the charter again and drew out a whole new string of marks. As he summoned them, Sam hurriedly traced the marks on his legs with a finger, marks of protection, of reflection, of diversion. They joined and shimmered there, wrapping his legs in charter magic armor that would resist the steam and boiling water. He looked down only for 10 or perhaps 15 seconds, but when he looked back up, Hedge was gone. The steam was dissipating and the water was flowing again. The dead hands were turning their backs to him and lumbering away. And Sam is just like, really? I like, I was ready, man. I was about to do it. I got myself all psyched up and you just like, where'd he go? And Maga is like, yeah, I think he uh, found something more important to do. He's being summoned off in another direction. And Sam is like, where the fuck were you, Moggett, by the way? And Moggett says, hiding, like any sensible person would when confronted by a necromancer as powerful as Hedge. Is he that powerful? asks Sam. You must have encountered many necromancers serving my mother and the other Apportions. They didn't have help from the Destroyer, said Moggett. I must say, I'm impressed with what it can do, even bound as it is. A lesson for us all, that even trapped inside a lump of silver metal. Uh... Yeah, Mogget, maybe don't fucking talk about like, wow, yes, you know, I know it's trying to kill you and me and all of your friends, but wow, you got to give him some props, don't you? That thing can really do some shit. Not the time. 
Okay? We aren't doing any Yelp review here, Mugget. Just keep it to yourself. Fuck. Inappropriate. Um, so at this point, Mugget is just like, yeah, uh, I think I'm going to go take a nap. And Sam loses his temper and grabs Mugget, shakes him, and is like, you have to fucking help me. And when he shakes him, this bell begins to send both of them to sleep. And Sam really has to, like, force himself back to his feet because he literally falls down like he becomes so exhausted. But by the time he forces himself back to his feet, Ma gets asleep and he's fucking smirking, even in his sleep. He's just very fucking happy with himself. Um, and so he remembers that the dog had said Lyriel went into the reeds. So he's like, all right, I guess that's the best we can do. I will head in that direction. Um, so he... It says Sam packed away Lyriel's bow and the dropped arrow. Then he balanced the two packs using a single strap on each shoulder, made sure Mogget would not fall out even though the cat deserved to, and started west, the stream burbling along beside him. And that is the end of that section. And I am right on time for once. Hmm, that never happens. So, uh, yeah, very intense chapters. And I am really dying to know what it was that called Hedge away. Like, I feel like it has to be something to do with Nick because this thing needs an avatar, I'm guessing. Um, I don't really know why, because it's not as if this thing is doing anything other than yelling at Hedge, get it done, dig it up, do it faster. So I don't know, but it, it seems like for some reason it does need to be to occupy a person. Um, so, yeah, I just I guess we'll see. Um, thank you very much to Abby for commissioning this. She has the laugh emoji going on in the chat right now. Um, thank you all of you for listening and I hope that you've been enjoying them. I've been really enjoying this book a lot. So I will be seeing you all again soon with a new episode until then. Toodaloo motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.